0: Hello and welcome to the Celtic View podcast with myself, Martin DL, Celtic View editor Paul Cudahy. How are you, little? I'm great, thank you very much, Paul. And Celtic View reporter Mark Henderson. Thanks, Martin. Delighted to be here. Good stuff, guys. Now, we've got a cracking issue of the magazine for you all this week amid a busy run of games for the boys. And in this episode, we're going to have a look at all the information and interviews that's in that, as well as last weekend's draw with Inverness Cali Thistle, and this weekend's upcoming game against Kilmarnock at home. Patrick Roberts also talks through the official match programme for next week's UEFA Champions League clash with Manchester City. So we've got a sneak peek at some of that, as well as the interviews from this week's magazine, including a snippet from an exclusive chat with Chris Commons. Now, Chris Commons, the Celtic playmaker, has been out of action since April, but he took time to talk to us and tell us about his summer recovery from injury and his plans to move into coaching in the future. And you can hear that interview now. How have you felt the transition then over the summer with the, the new regime and everyone coming Yeah, in
1: obviously very, very difficult to get uh, off and running just because of, you know, when you come into pre-season with an injury, it's difficult to, uh, you know, to try and pick up the pace straight away. So, that you know, that's probably what's took me uh, the longest. Uh, obviously, training's very intense. It's very sharp. Uh, you know, a great tactical element in the training that, you know, that I want to be a part of. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me now, it's just about maintaining fitness and just waiting for a chance now.
0: What when do you think is that that chance will come really or like of like say, it's difficult weeks, to so say, you
1: say. You would I'd like to play as soon as possible but you a little bit of a little a long time since I've played competitive football. You know, it's difficult to try and force my way of the team's doing, you know, pretty well, of you know, there's there's plenty of options for the manager to to try and consider. And obviously, with me, not having a pre season of me, you know, I'm of playing catch up, but mm. hopefully. Things that I'm doing in training will, you know, get me the opportunity for, for me to get a chance in there.
0: Have you spoken to him much? Yeah, yeah. Had. It's been very
1: good. Uh, obviously, something that we'll be getting onto, you no know, doubt, shortly in the interview. That you know, uh, going down the coaching aspects is you know it's been very helpful than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's just reiterated that you know that I just need to get fit and you know show my how, how well I can do in training and obviously then the opportunities will come. But it's just the the thought of uh, you know, the next step now, uh, in in terms of, you know, the tactical element of the game and mm-hmm. looking into different aspects. He's been very
0: good at that for me. Cool. Uh th- right, talk me through the UEFA licensing when you started it yeah. and all the different points along. Yeah,
1: on. we see, I got offered to do it many, many years ago. Uh, you know, me there me, Charlie, I think, uh Brian, we were all gonna, you know, get us foot in the door you know, Lenny was one of the first ones to, to say, you know, get it done as soon as possible and then you know you've got it then yeah but you know twenty six twenty seven you don't really look at the the coaching aspects of it you just enjoy playing football uh but you know I think now feels more more the right time to go into that you know uh like I said learning the other side of the game, you know the tactical side you know psychology side and you know the the coaching thing and obviously I still feel as if I've got a good two three years playing football, mm. but certainly if I can get my foot in the uh foot in that sort of direction then you know it just adds another string to the bow.
0: Is coaching uh, well, the intention to coach something that you've always kind of harbored? No not th- all no no, no, no. Right.
1: no. Uh, again or ever since being just a, a little lad you know just just play football just just wants to play 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 and you know I think as soon as you give up on you know that you're not going to play then something needs to then materialize into your, your career whether that's coaching management going you know away from football you know I think it's very easy to stay in football but ultimately you know I think on the other hand it's very easy just to drop out and fall away so mm-hmm. you know I just wanted it there just to to have it rather than think this is going to be my you know next career path in the next two or three years it's mm-hmm. just something that I wanted to have a just have a, get an experience and have a, a learn
0: about it really. But just to, to I guess re- reiterate what you were saying at the start your Celtic career isn't yep. Uh, over it's very much no. still alive, and you want to be part of yeah. Brendan I, I just team. think
1: if I can yeah maintain fitness levels and get just be given a chance to get in there, then uh, you know I do believe I've got a, a lot to offer. Again, I, since having the back operation, the obviously the injections uh, this preseason after that I've just felt really good, really mm-hmm. fit, mm-hmm. you know, ready to go. So I know it's going to be probably one of the toughest challenges of my football career. You know. Thirty-three years old, trying to take positions of you know young, fit, quick players. So you mm-hmm. know, hopefully, I can just like I say, get given the chance to stay in there.
0: So Chris Commons there speaking to the Celtic View exclusively this week with a really interesting uh, interview and chat about his hopes to be a coach later on in life. But Paul, perhaps even more interestingly, just now is at the end of that conversation there, Chris saying that he's perhaps facing the toughest challenge of his life as a footballer as he bids to break into Brendan Rodgers' team competing against uh, younger and fitter guys just now.
2: Yeah, I think it's always tough. And obviously it's tougher because he missed pre-season. I'm sure every time, not only at Celtic, but every club when a new manager comes in, every player wants to be fighting fit. They want to be there from the first day of pre-season to impress the manager. And, you know, Chris isn't alone and, and we had some first-team players who have obviously missed that. So they are maybe behind in the pecking order, and particularly when we're playing so well. But, you know, he's, he's experienced enough, you know, he's played for so many years that he knows that sometimes... Uh, patience is the watchword. He's just got to keep his head down, keep working hard, which I'm sure he's doing. I thought it was really interesting. I mean, he's a quite articulate guy, but just obviously w- where he's seeing himself in the, the sort of longer term. But you know, I'm sure he'd like nothing better than to be back in that starting eleven.
0: It's interesting, Mark. He, he says in the interview that uh, former Celtic manager Neil Lennon was one of the first people to float the idea to him. He said to him, Charlie McGrew, Scott Brown, obviously three key and senior members of that squad. <clears throat> but they said that, you know, that at that time of their life it just wasn't really something that's on the horizon. But interesting to to show kind of how, how long Commons has been at Celtic that he is now looking at this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at Chris and his contribution to Celtic since he joined the club, it is
3: very, very impressive, and I think he will go down. Whatever he still has to achieve at Celtic is one of the, the, you know, the great servants to the club. Um, you know, going back into the Champions League this season, I think we've all been watching highlight reels of previous Champions League campaigns, and Chris's contribution to that has been huge. Uh, look back at his goal against Shakhtar Karagandy, that cool penalty under pressure against Spartak Moscow. And it just reminds you of what a big player Chris has been at Celtic over the past couple of years. Possibly maybe a bit of forgotten man in the summer, you know, when the manager coming in and Chris has been out injured for a long time, not featured in any of the games. But he's such a fantastic footballer. And if Chris can get fit, you know, back to full fitness and, and push into the team, he'll certainly be an asset to Brendan Rodgers' side going forward. They just offer something a little bit different, you know. He's always a threat in the final third He's got that experience as well, and uh, as Paul said, he's a very articulate guy, obviously thinks a lot about the game, and uh, it's great to see him, you know, wanting to stay in football and put his football knowledge to good use, because, uh, you know, he's certainly someone you could see going into that coaching uh, department of the game in the future. Yeah,
2: because one of the the interesting things I found when I was reading the the piece, um, he did a a Celtic TV broadcast in the summer as as the co-commentator. And it was quite entertaining because he was, he was want, wanting to kick every ball. And, you know, usually what happens is, you know, as the commentator, you're describing the play and then you wait and the, the co-commentator comes in. But he was almost like talking over you because he's, he's trying to urge them on. But actually, when you listen to his analysis of the game and the team and how the opposition were lining up, you know, it was, I didn't know at the time, obviously, that he'd, he'd started down that road of coaching, but, you know, it was very astute. And I thought part of that was because he's still playing the game. So he knows the players and he's just right up. T- been up to date, but obviously, his mind is now getting attuned with the idea of how a coach or how a manager sets his team out, how they combat with the opposition, don't kind of fall into place.
0: And it was quite an interesting experience just to do that cool commentary with him. I think the the the, the interview itself kind of delves into that that different side of Chris Commons that a lot of people haven't seen. It's, and it's just one of those occasions where. Um, the Celtic view in her position has had the opportunity to to speak to one of the first team players about something that uh, they maybe wouldn't be asked in a press conference, or because, as you said, Mark, perhaps off the the radar a wee bit just now as he's as he's uh bidding to get back to full fitness, um maybe just not being thought about because you know the the team has been playing so well and particularly guys like scott sinclair patrick roberts tom Rogic, the kind of guys that you would maybe see in chris commons position they've been on fire this year so far so um i would really urge the listeners to to pick up the celtic view this week one of the few times you'd really say look you're you're gonna miss out if you don't uh read the full I interview say that, <laughs> i say <laughs> yeah i mean obviously we know <laughs> ourselves but yeah. this is just one of those ones where Chris Commons isn't speaking to anyone else um, and you're not going to get this, this interview, this insight into what he's thinking. But looking at him getting back into the team, one of the things, again, that he talks about the in, in the interview is his experience. Um, and I was saying to him, you know, you look at the players that Brendan Rodgers has brought in, particularly Kolo Toure uh, and Doris de Vries. I'm not forgetting Scott Sinclair, who's vastly experienced as well. He likes experienced players to help the younger players, and Chris Commons is one of the most experienced heads in this squad. I think as, as well, Martin, in,
3: in, in the interview too, he was talking about how he enjoyed, he'd enjoyed, been enjoying working with the manager so far, even the, the tactical side. He was talking about how interesting training had been. Uh, a real... Uh, fascinating approach from Brendan Rodgers to doing things and Chris was enjoying that and uh, as you said he is someone that has still got a lot to offer at Celtic uh, let's make no mistake about that he signed his, his new contract recently uh, he's very committed to the club he loves being here uh, I think you know Everyone around Chris as well, his as family—they're all, they've all embraced Celtic too. You know, he, he does the audio when you go into a tour at Celtic Park. He's the voice you hear talking about the history of Celtic. So, he's someone that loves the club. He, he wants to do well here, and you know, if, if there are if there are opportunities for him to come in over the coming weeks, once he gets when he gets back to full fitness, I'm sure he'll be determined to stake a claim. I mean, he's certainly not here you know, just to make up the numbers, I mean, he's talking about coaching, of course, but that's in the longer term. He still s- sees himself, of course, as a, as a football player and as someone that's plenty to offer. And the way he plays the game, he's never had electric pace. He's always been an intelligent footballer that likes to find the pockets of space in the final third and thread passes through, create chances and shoot. So it's not like age is a, a real uh, detriment to the way he plays his game. So... Certainly someone with a lot of experience and someone that's hopefully going to offer lots more to Celtic over the coming seasons. Yeah, I was just wondering, Martin, when you were speaking to him, did you
2: feel I just wonder whether he's looked at the likes of Scott Brown, you know, particularly last season when, when he was on the, the touch line with the development squad a lot and whether that's maybe part of the, the thing that's it's sown the seed in his mind that, you know, that's maybe the way to go because He's maybe just slightly older than Scott Brown, but they're roughly around about the same age.
0: Yeah, uh, Chris is 33, and I think uh, Scott's just turned 31. Um, I think, yeah, definitely the 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 changing kind of shape of the team and the club over the past two years, I think players like these these guys, and Charlie, if he was probably still here, would be thinking along the same lines, you know. I, th- I guess it's the same for every footballer. If you get over the 30 mark, you kind of think, you have to start thinking about your... Uh, forward career moves, it's the same as you and I Mark I was about <laughs> to
3: add it there you know, as someone that is 32 and set to turn 33 in a couple of months I'll have no words <laughs> of, uh, of saying that your career
0: is coming to an end at this age, still <laughs> just starting. Offer. yeah exactly peak of your that. powers, 30 exactly. is um, the new 20 <laughs> right. when I spoke to Chris uh, I'd asked him if coaching had ever you know, It was something that he'd always wanted to do because you kind of get the impression that, say, Scott Brown, for example, has his career pretty much planned out. As soon as he came to Celtic and eventually kind of settled at the club, he's very happy, uh, enjoys his role as captain um, and enjoys playing in Scotland and also loved playing for Scotland. He then made a, what must have been a very difficult decision to terminate his Scotland career. Retire from that. Focus on Celtic, and I'm sure he has his own plan. As you say, Paul, Chris has now got to that kind of stage as well, where he realises that he's coming to the latter stages of his career. Certainly, it's not over, as he's said in the the podcast. And as you can tell, also when you're up at Leonardstown as well, because he's he looks fit as a fiddle. He looks, I mean, he's kind of. People always say about Chris being sort of bulked up, but he does, he's, he looks in shape. um. And from the training sessions that I've watched recently, he's certainly not lost his touch or his enthusiasm for the game. So just taking that forward planning step, really, I think that's what it is.
2: Yeah, and I suppose the, um, the frustration for him is, because the team is playing well, it's it's difficult for the manager to change that too much, because he's starting to get a settled team, and particularly in those positions that Chris would be wanting to play You know, some of the key players, you know, Tom Rogic, Stuart Armstrong, when he's come in in the the centre, have been playing really well. Or if it was out wide, you know, if it's Scott Sinclair, and it's just a different type of player out out wide. But, you know, I think, you know, Mark said it a couple of times already in the podcast, I think he just, he's not, pace isn't his his strength, but it's his, his football brain. And so I think you know, if and when he does come back in, I think he'll, he'll certainly enhance the squad. I mean,
0: if you say, like you were saying, Mark, if you look over a highlight reel of Chris Commons, it's not him beating people down the wing and stuff like that. It's in that danger area, 25 yards out, either taking a shot at target, curling a cross in, taking on defenders, winning fouls, all that sort of stuff. So it does offer something different uh, for Brendan Rodgers' team. And you would imagine with the number of games that play, upwards of 60 to 70 games, he might get a chance sooner rather than later.
3: Yeah, and I mean, from watching Chris going around at Lennox Town, he's still extremely positive, you know, and upbeat from from what I've seen. He doesn't look like someone that's really unhappy at the current situation. He's been out of the team and been out injured. He still seems really positive and optimistic about getting back in the team and, you know, having another successful season at Celtic. And I don't know if that's what you gleaned as well, Martin, when you spoke to
0: him definitely i mean again you'll 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 hear from his you've heard from from his interview there that he was aware that the interview was going to be moving on to his coaching uh, but he's talking about he starts off the interview talking about uh, his summer recovery and how much he wants to play for celtic and bookends the interview with that as well by no means has he given up the ghost on his celtic career um, and it is just, it's really just about him trying to stay as fit as he can, impress the manager in training, perhaps even get a game or two for the development squad, and then just take it from there.
3: Well, I think it's great that, that players are, are, are thinking like that in the latter stages of their career, Martin. I mean, Scott Brown, I've seen in the last couple of seasons, has embarked on the coaching side of things as well, working with the development side. And I think Brendan Rodgers is the type of manager that. Liked and enjoy working with players who have a a, a good knowledge of the game, like to think tactically. I mean, he he always speaks about uh, Scott Brown's tactical knowledge and awareness on the pitch, and it's probably something he, he talks about after every match how he can move Scott brown around that midfield and he knows he'll do a job so i think having that kind of football intelligence on the park can only be a, a benefit to celtic
0: and again chris highlights that in the interview how helpful brendan Rodgers has been with him um and you know it, it is an asset to have to have an intelligent senior footballer uh in your squad and I think that's why he's recruited guys like colo and everything like that it's not just the fact that they've played the game it's just that they they're great to have around the dressing room, and uh, they know exactly what's going on. You can help the younger players. So, and speaking of younger players, Mark, know yourself. You were speaking to Sam Wardrop uh, for this week's Celtic View. Sam, representative of uh, another. Uh, in the long line of young defenders coming through the the youth ranks at Celtic and he's changed from being a, a right back this season, shifting more into the centre as a, a centre and a half. And here you can listen to a snippet of Mark's interview, which of course is in this week's Celtic View with Sam.
3: What yeah. have you learned so far about the positions from the games you've played? I mean, I guess it's been it's a bit rusty at the start, but what have you learned about yeah.
4: in a centre half again? Um, um just kinda keep things nice and simple, you know, when you're when you're headers um make uh, good use of the ball when you've got mm-hmm. it. Um obviously it is really different from right back, but um it's not taking me too long to kinda get back t- into into playing it. because um, before before Celtic I played there for for years, um, so I kind of know already what, what what's required. So, um, how long did you
3: play
4: there for before you went to right back? Um, probably about three years at Celtic, and and the kind of the younger age groups playing there, um, and maybe a season or two before that with like boys' club and school football team okay, and stuff like so that. Pretty
3: much the entirety of your
4: yeah football career. yeah, so it was all, it was almost it was a big change going moving to right back. <laughs> um, for the last three or four seasons but now it's almost back to uh-huh. back what, to what I'm used to yeah, yeah. Um, obviously you've been playing alongside Jamie usually yeah. in
3: that, that, that area of the pitch how have you found that have you sort of managed to form a decent enough partnership do you feel so
4: yeah yeah no it's good I mean I know Jamie really well mm-hmm. Uh. have known him for maybe four or five years um, and I've played I've played there with him before as well for, for Scotland a few times as well so mm-hmm. uh, we know each other really well and we know our kind of strengths and weaknesses so we kind of bounce off each other and we, know, right, we okay. know how to how to play together on the pitch yeah okay. works well so tell us about the European
3: <coughs> exploits so far Um, obviously a really good performance at Barcelona unfortunately to get yeah. a positive result but you know compared to how we fared over there in previous European yeah. games it shows real real improvement I mean what, what, did, yeah. what did you and what did Tommy say after the game and what did you take from it?
4: yeah no it was really we're all kind of really although we, we lost 2-1 we? We we're all kind of on a high because we we did play really well, especially in the second half of the game. Um, but we 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 maybe felt as though we should have at least got a draw, uh, and if not a win in the game. I mean, we pl- I played there two or three years ago um, in the youth league as well, mm-hmm. and uh, we were beating three now, and we weren't really anywhere near what we were um, the other day when we played Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Every- everyone knew kind of what they were doing, the game plan. Um, Tommy and Jim took us through kind of prepared us really well for it so we knew we knew kind of what to expect um, but everyone was kind of delighted with the way it went although we lost kind of narrowly 2-1 and then
3: that must give you encouragement for the rest of the group campaign
4: yeah no definitely um, still got five games left uh, so we're, we're kind of all, all really looking forward to them because we can kind of believe we can get some results
3: so Man City up next in, yeah. in that, that group um, and I guess on with a team we've played quite a few times over the past couple of years and yeah. how from how we've played against them, certainly no fear going
4: into the game? Yeah, no, again, we're feeling really positive. Um, the last time we played them was against the Under-21s team, I think, in the English Premier League Cup. Um, it was That was a really close game as well, down in, in Manchester, so, yeah, that's the next game and we've got them at home, so we're really, really confident for that one, yeah.
0: So Sam Wardrop there talking about his change in position for the Celtic development squad this season, and also talking about Celtic's participation in the UEFA Youth League. Now Mark, we all know that unfortunately started with a narrow 2-1 defeat to Barcelona, same day that Celtic were playing Barcelona at the Nou Camp, but how did you feel Sam was uh, talking about his participation in the tournament and uh, the season ahead? Well, I think yeah, we
3: have to emphasise the point narrow defeat. And uh, I think the players and the management team at the development level took so many positives from that performance um, up against a extremely talented Barcelona team. And we've seen in the, the past couple of seasons when Celtic have come up against Barcelona at that youth level. And particularly over in, in Catalonia, you know, Barcelona have been excellent. Uh, and won the matches pretty comprehensively, but this one was different. You know, I think Celtic went out there with a, a a strong game plan. They really put up a great fight against Barcelona, fought back in the second half to make the scores two one, and were by all accounts extremely unfortunate not to get a positive result from the game. And it's just given. You know, all the players, so much encouragement going forward for the rest of the competition to go to Barcelona, play like that in the first game. They've got no fear now of anyone they come up against and I think everyone's relishing the game against Manchester Manchester City uh, coming up. Uh, certainly a match that's not going to hold any fears for them. They've played Manchester City a few times in the past couple of years and, and done very well. Uh, so hopefully the the youths can really go on and have a strong competition in the UEFA Youth League this season. And I think uh, Sam Wardrop was one of the the players that impressed
2: in the Menea Study. Um particularly in the second half I mean I think the first half Barcelona were the better team and deservedly ahead but I think the second half you know as you said we were unlucky not to get a point and they were up against there was a, a big guy that was playing up front for Barcelona and he was a bit at times he was a bit naughty so there was a couple of times Sam was clearing the ball and he would just Know, almost like follow through, but again, that's almost like part of the education. I mean, he, would get, he was probably maybe taller and, and bulkier than you'd expect a normal Barcelona striker, still very skillful, but it was just another physical challenge. And it's it's interesting when you also think it's interesting when you see you hear players they may be coming through the academy in a certain position, but either through accident or design. I mean, to an extent, I think he says in the interview with Fikra Kelleher going out and loan that that was the, the position was made available alongside Jamie McCart. And sometimes that, that's that's something that another player can just thrive on because suddenly they find themselves thrust into that. You know, they do well in it and
3: suddenly the coaches are thinking, wait a minute, we may have a, a central defender on our hands here. Well, the most recent example for that is, is Kieran Tierney. Now, Kieran came through the youth system primarily as a, a left midfielder. I mean, he did play left back at times, but the first few games I saw him play, but um, under twenty level, he was playing on the left of midfield, coming on as a sub a couple of times, and it was only maybe a bit later on he moved back to the left back position. So it shows that you know that positions can change quite fluidly and that uh, as you're developing as a player. So perhaps this could be the position for Sam to fill. And of course, during the interview, also hear that it's a, in a sense it's going back to the future for Sam. He did play that role. As a youngster, before he came to Celtic, and his initial couple of years in the Celtic Youth Academy, so it's not too alien for him. He has got experience there, but obviously, when you play right back for a couple of years, then go to centre back, and you're playing in the Iron Brew Cup against really experienced senior pros, and in the UEFA Youth League it has been a huge challenge. But I think he's relishing
0: it. Sam also seems to be kind of one of the uh, one of those intelligent sort of young players as well, a guy who's thriving on the the opportunity of changing position rather than perhaps. Um, seen it as a negative? Do you think he's got the kind of the the mentality and that right attitude, Mark, to you know to take the benefits and positives from this? Definitely, but to be honest, Martin, I would say that about most of the young players at Celtic. They've, they've all
3: they're all really focused in what they have to do. Um, they they all know what they ha- have to achieve to go on that pathway to the first team. Um, you know, every time we speak to them, they're always excellent to talk to, you know, always knowledgeable about the game and about how they, the improvements they have to make in their own game. And I think that all stems from, you know, Chris McCart all the way down through the Youth Academy. They've, they're have they all instilled with the, the right spirit. Uh, they've all been well-educated in, in what is expected of them in the Celtic Youth Academy. So I, I, I would say that generally, to be honest. But as you say, Sam is a guy who does speak very well about football about where he wants to go in life on the pitch so you know hopefully he'll be the next one to make the grade
0: and of course tactical uh sort of versatility is a, a key component of brendan Rodgers' first team you know being able to switch players about see it with Mikhail lustig almost every week going from right back into center half so that'll help him as well as he aims for that first team paul absolutely i mean I, i'm sure particularly on that back line the more positions that you can
2: play um, um, you know obviously it, m- it makes you more appealing to, to the coach or to the manager and I th- I think for the, for this young squad that Tommy McIntyre's got I think the start of the season has been as good as it's possibly could have been in terms of experience because y- you know obviously last season they did fantastically well in the league but playing against you know in that Anbrook Cup playing against Annan Athletic and then Cowdenbeath and even the Livingston game where you know the first half they they might be just taken apart a, part a bit but those are great experiences because you're you know, you're playing against guys who are not going to obviously can be older than you, maybe more physically, you know, well built. They're not going to stand in ceremony. They want to beat Celtic, so it's a tough challenge. And then you have the different challenge of playing some of obviously the best young players in Europe, firstly in Barcelona. I've no doubt that Manchester City will have some top quality players, but you know we played them down at their training centre a couple of years ago, and I think we lost in penalties. So I'm sure, as you said right at the start of this chat, Mark, I think the the team. You know must be relishing and, and you know why, why
3: can't we win yeah go on to the UEFA youth League uh, specifically Paul and Martin as well that it's such a great competition for these young players to think a few years ago there was nothing at this level you know there was no European experience uh, that young players the Celtic young players could get in a competitive level. It's just been such a great innovation that, that's arrived in the, the past couple of years. Obviously, the precursor was the next-gen series, but it's, it's something they love to, to participate in. You know, The whole thing, even just travelling abroad, experiencing different cities, playing against different teams, uh, a different style of football... It's um, it can only help the development, and uh, you, you know you can tell when you speak to Sam and all the other young players about it. It's something that they
0: love to to take part in. Yeah, definitely. A lot of these players get to that age where they're still playing for the development squad between eighteen and twenty, and it's not you can't send your full uh, set of players at that age out in loans. So they do need competitive games. Playing in the um the Challenge Cup, the start of the season was great for them. Playing in the Youth League is a brilliant experience. Then we've also got the Premier League International Cup, which we understand is going to be starting in November for Celtic. Again, a tournament that has taught some of the boys some harsh les- lessons. I mean, last year we lost to Benfica, Chelsea and Liverpool, but went on undefeated in the league. So, I know that record itself is, has stopped this season, but... Certainly, um, the proof is there that these kind of competitions do help the players. Absolutely, and it's in it. There are, there are such different challenges because, you know, as I was
2: saying, the Iron Brew Cup was a challenge against, so you know, guys that have maybe been seasoned professionals for many years. You know, the tournaments you're mentioning, where we're playing against the, the the cream of the crop throughout Europe at that same age level. So again, that's just a different test, and it's maybe a good one for letting the, the our players see the level they're at and perhaps the level that they want to be at. So, you know, I'm sure Chris McCart and Tom McIntyre are always keen to get those experiences and and you're hoping then in the next two, three, four years that some of these guys are just going to slowly but surely edge their way into the first team squad.
0: And speaking of that, first team squad follows we sort of move on and and kind of look ahead to the weekend. Uh, The Hoops back in league action um, with a tie against Kilmarnock. Um, Now that's going to be you we th- Thinking back to last week's podcast, we were looking at our tie against Inverness, Cali Thistle, you know, a team who looks to be kind of stuttering at the bottom of the league. A lot of new faces and a new manager as well, but they ended up pulling back to uh, perhaps luckily get a draw off Celtic considering how much we dominated that second half. Do we perhaps need to go into this weekend's tie with a, a slightly more caution? No, I don't think so. I, you know...
2: As far as I can remember, I, I don't think I've seen us playing better than in the second half up at Inverness than we did. On any other day, we would have won it comfortably. It'd be worse if we had got the two all drawn. We've, we've had draws and defeats up there where we haven't played well. But the fact was, we did. We created chances. And on another day, I mean, one of the Inverness uh, media guys said afterwards to me that that's the best their goalkeepers ever played. So I think we would just continue to play the way we're doing. We are creating chances and we will get goals. I mean, in. You know, Kamanok. They've started. They've got a series of draws. Now, they did causes. They were. A st- I mean, they really struggled last season. But they we struggled against them. I mean, it was two draws, and then it took that last minute wonder goal from Tom Rogic to to beat them down at Rugby Park. So, th- it's one of those games. They've got nothing to lose. They've got a wee bit of confidence because of the three draws in a row. You know, I don't think we'll we'll, we'll be confident. And you know, I'd, I'd be amazed. I mean, it took them was it
3: 50 odd years to win one game here? I think it wouldn't surprise me if it took another 50 to win another one. Oh, I mean, definitely, Paul, I was commentating with you up at, up in the Highlands and it was one of those games you just you just felt after, I think, the third time we'd hit the woodwork that it was just going to be one of those days where Inverness were going to get that one chance at the end of the game and take it. So, ex- extremely frustrating for the manager and all the players because, as you said, we did play brilliantly in that second half up there it's such a tough place to go but you know when you create I can't remember us creating so many chances in a 45 minutes up there as we did so I think you know we'll go into the match with plenty of confidence still Uh, I still think there's that positivity running through the team everyone believes in what the manager's doing and you can see that manifesting itself on the park And Kilmarnock, you know, while Chris Boyd's beginning to score some goals for them up front, it's still a very new team for them. They've made so many changes in the summer. And, you know, you'd expect us with the way we've started the season to win that one pretty comfortably.
0: I think there is a bit of enthusiasm going through the Kilmarnock camp just now with uh, the the strike partnership starting to kind of uh, hit the back of the net with a bit of regularity. Um, they've played teams from up and down, like sort of both ends of the the league, and they've managed draws. But as you mentioned, Paul, that consistency is marked, markedly different from the results at the start of the season when they were just all over the place. But you would feel that, uh, with the enthusiasm going through the Celtics, uh, own camp and just just the attitude of speaking to uh, one of the players up at Lennox Town the other day, there and they were just kind of saying that, you know all oh, right, there was mistakes perhaps made in the Inverness game that allowed them to get back into it, but the players aren't dwelling on those things. They're looking forward to the next match to have that opportunity to rewrite those mistakes and and do better and just enjoy themselves. And that's, I guess that's down to the manager. Well, I thought the fact that we we came into the game last weekend in the back of, you know,
2: the the. Really heavy defeat in the new camp, and yet they, they played well and get stronger as the game went on. I thought was really encouraging, uh, a sign of the attitude. It's interesting a couple of the I felt a couple of the comments after the game where I think the manager said it after the game, and then Chris Davis said it earlier in the week in a press conference says that obviously you're looking to create chances to score four or five goals, but see if you don't, I, the mark of champions is to see the game out, and I think that will be their focus as well. That while they'll still want to go and create chances and score goals, I think the don't be saying to the the, particularly the defense but then also the the midfielders will be helping them sometimes we just need to see this game out and and that's what we need to do and so
3: i'm fairly confident for in fact i'm very confident for the the game well i think um another interesting feature we'll see at the weekend paul um is the defensive makeup of the team now i think this could this could Possibly be attributed to, you know, how we've maybe conceded one or two goals in games. There isn't maybe that understanding yet there in that defensive department. And having spoken to the manager for this week's Celtic view, that was something he alluded to as well. He really wants to build that unity and understanding there. F- funny you say that. Do you think it's... I mean, you think of that defence we had a couple of years ago where Virgil van Dyke and Jason Denner, it was a, it was a pretty settled defence and as a
2: result we hardly lost a goal.
3: Yeah, it does make a difference. You know, particularly in that part of the team, you... you you have a goalkeeper and you have a back four and the longer they play together they build up that understanding and know-how and it's different in other parts of the team you don't necessarily have to have that understanding but in defence you do and throughout the, in the early part of the campaign there's been a lot of changes there players have come in, likes of Kolo Toure Jozo Simeonovic obviously came back from his long-term injuries first match since January against Inverness and he he's back into the team as well So there are plenty of options for the manager there now, and I think now he would love to build, you know, consistently field the same back four in a few weeks. Just when you're going to play in the Champions League and playing against, you know, we've talked about the the Barcelona Trident, and we're going to be up against, you know, the likes of Sergio Aguero, Sterling Silva, De Bruyne, just a few names to frighten you all. (laughs) Who who are these guys? I've, I've, I've never heard of them. Yeah, but when you go into competitions like that playing players of that ilk, you you want a back four or a back five, whatever, that has played together and has got that know-how. So hopefully that's something we'll see over the the coming games as well. Um, Obviously the man just talked about that he can't play the same back four every week because of the hectic fixture schedule, but certainly we want to see a bit, hopefully he'll be looking for a bit more consistency there.
0: It's something Cian Tierney actually talks about in the weekend uh, match programme. He was the main interview for the Marnock programme and although he kind of talks about it in in an attacking sense because I asked him about how he's enjoyed playing with Scott Sinclair and how that's just been a consistent partnership and, Tierney was saying, you know, last year he would maybe have two games with James Forrest, uh, one game with Patrick Roberts, two or three games with Sure Armstrong, and you did have a loose understanding of each other's game, but it's not the same as uh, Scott Sinclair, having that same guy ahead of you every single week. And he's, he was saying as well, it's the same with having uh, Simunovic he had last season for a couple of games in a row, or having Eric Sv- uh, Svichenko beside him for a couple of games in a row. He says people totally uh, underrate how... Uh, important that is um, having that person to think oh you're a footballer you can just play alongside each other but he says two or three games in a row beside each other and already your game starts to change well i
2: was think particularly the defensive unit as as mark was saying and you know it goes back to that that classic arsenal team of of george graham where they had the same back four and they just just to rehearse constantly the opposite it was offside decision decision but i mean that the, the whole reason of that whole one nil to the arsenal came about because They would get ahead and they would just close up shop but that was because for the same reason that they all knew their job and it was instinctive and you know it would be interesting to see then you know over the next few weeks if you if you think that's what the manager you know is going to do then
3: how that evolves and who that first choice back for is going to be and there certainly is plenty of competition there Uh, i've only mentioned a few names but dedrick boyata is obviously someone that's coming back from injury Eric Sviachenko's been playing there. Owen O'Connell's been excellent in the early part of the campaign. So, you know, plenty of players vying for those two positions in the central defence. But Martin, you brought up Kieran Tierney there and that understanding on the left-hand side. And that brings us on to the cover star as well of this week's Celtic view, Scott Sinclair, and his record equaling feats, uh, matching Jimmy McGrory and, and scoring in the first five league matches of the season. And he's someone that you just expect to have chances and score every game and the big question is will he continue against Kilmarnock and move two matches closer to Jimmy McGrory's record of eight goals in the first eight games of the season? Yeah, I think he will and, and you know, obviously he didn't, he didn't know
2: about that before Well, I mean, even after the game that's when, when, when we told him and I think it's the, the post-war record I think Stevie Chalmers had done four in a row in 64-65 so Jimmy McGrory did eight 1935-36 so I think he... Well, he obviously he said it was like I felt like a TV at the weekend, and he'd rather win the game. I'm sure from a personal point of view, he's going to get chances anyway. I think if if he could get seven or eight or even you know nine, you know he's never going to get as many goals for Celtic as Jimmy McGrody did. But it's just a nice wee record, and I think you know you, over the years you've heard strikers they do there are sort of wee personal achievements that they always want to try and aim for.
0: And uh, Mark and I have since spoken to uh, to Scott about it at uh, Lennox Town. And uh, he, was, well, he was, he was delighted with it. But he actually went home and googled Jimmy McGrory and was looking at Wikipedia and everything like that, and finding out about it. So, um, it's certainly something that's on his radar now. And he's, his first thing that he said was, "Did Henrik Larsson not even do it?" So, <laughs> when, you, when you talk about players like that, it shows you the the feats. Uh, that Scott Sinclair is currently achieving just now as a Celtic player and I'm with you Paul, I wouldn't bet against him to to score against Kelly at the weekend
3: Well when you consider he's not even a striker as well, uh, for him to get in those positions consistently is remarkable for us to have that movement and timing and ability to get in the box and get on the end of things as well as create chances, Uh, it's just uh, as we've spoken about several times in the podcast he just adds a different dimension to the Celtic attack and you just know you'll get an opportunity at the weekend and hopefully you will take it because it's a great story and, uh, you know, Scott's obviously revelling in it as well. So hopefully we'll see that net in Scott Sinclair's name on the score
0: sheet. And uh, before any of the, the listeners start making the Scott Sinclair fan club <laughs> with members Martin Dale, Paul Cuddy and Mark Henderson, we'll move things on Keeping it with fans though, Paul. You've been conducting the Celtic, Celtic. That's the team for me. Interview this season a really successful and interesting feature, and I believe you get another one coming up for us this week.
2: Yeah, caught up with another Celtic fan as you say. It was quite interesting. Disappointed you never actually sang the wee title for that there, but maybe <laughs> maybe next time. Yeah, just <laughs> uh, another Celtic fan, Stephen Wall So always uh, always interesting to hear what uh, different Celtic fans their, their memories are. <laughs> So Stephen, thanks for joining us on the Celtic View podcast for this section. Celtic, Celtic that's the team for me and the first question I always ask is what's your earliest Celtic memory?
5: My earliest memories of Celtic are at the very start of the 70s um, I think two images are really uppermost in my mind. I think Dixie Deans scoring a hat-trick in a Scottish Cup final against Hibs and I think I actually scored two hat-tricks in a couple of seasons against them and I always have that image of them doing a tumble your Wilkies or a roly-poly. And um, also the Atletico Madrid semi-final game, which always stuck in my mind. And the next day, uh, I think in the papers, Jimmy Johnson was in the papers. He'd been kicked, you know, black and blue. And uh, from what I remember, he'd pulled up. He had pulled up his jersey and he showed you where he'd been kicked everywhere. And, that. and it always stuck in my head. And uh, I've never liked Atletico Madrid since. I've got to be honest with you. It's a team that I... Uh, have no sympathy for it ever I don't think you're alone in that no I guess not so what age would you have been then well I'd have been about uh, 6 or 7 in both of those times and uh, that was kind of uh, my, my parents weren't really interested in football so I was really the radio is what I got most of my contact with the games uh, from and then television the big games were on the television so the cup final was on the TV I think the Adelaide when we did game was actually highlights I don't think I saw it live but I can't quite remember if I was yeah, I think it was there. just highlights that night probably um, but I always, always stuck in my mind at how brutal they were and it was a real shock to see football like that. I hadn't ever seen anything like that before. Thankfully, not seen much since. In terms of football heroes, who was your Celtic hero when you are growing up? Well, I think undoubtedly it was it was Kenny Dalish. I think um, Kenny was just head and shoulders above every other player and I think the thing that always stuck out for me with Kenny was his face when he scored a goal. You know, he had a phenomenally uh, infectious smile and... Uh, Whenever he scored and ran away, I think that was the thing that always stuck in my mind. I really took to him, and I think when you're young and you're impressionable, it's fabulous to have a kind of hero in the team, somebody to look up to, and Dalglish for me was that, and even when he left Celtic, went to Liverpool, I kind of followed him, I think a lot of fans of my generation did, and uh, when he was scoring, winning goals in the European Cup Finals, even for other teams, I think that that was still, he kind of shared a wee bit in that, because you kind of felt he was one of us, and he'd gone on and, and done really well, so. Without a doubt, Dalgleish for me was, um, was a standout in that period. And how did you feel when he left? Well, i always remember that I was uh, I was out on my bicycle and uh, I was uh, getting something from the Ice Cream Van and the guy had a copy of the Daily Record in the back uh, through the window and it was kind of folded over and there was a kind of image of Jock Steen and Dalgleish. I can't remember exactly what the, what the montage was, but it was a kind of a very sorrowful looking... Uh, uh, Jock and uh, Douglas was kind of walking away from Celtic Park and I remember the 440,000 I think was the headline and at, at, and even at, at sort of 10 years old there was this kind of perception of a, around everybody that it had been a steal, you know, that, that we had got a lot of money relative to what was normally the transfers in British football but even then I think we all knew what we'd lost and we all knew what they were going to get and I think that at the time Keegan was a massive hero with Liverpool but I think everybody up here knew that he was better than Keegan, We instinctively knew that they were going to get something better, and that that proved to be the case. He went on, and I think you know, without doubt, ended up being a better player than Keegan was for Liverpool, who was a legend at the time. So I, I felt it, you know. I think even now I can think back to how disappointed I was about that whole thing, but the kind of admiration for the guy was so great that even though he went to play for Liverpool, you're still keen for him to do well. Um, probably something that's not quite so prevalent in the game nowadays. You know, a guy, a guy kind of leaves the club now and now it's. It seems to be that the fans don't like it as much or they're not as, as accepting of it anymore, you know, which is strange because players don't stay any length of time anymore.
2: Now in terms of Celtic's history, is there any player from our past that you'd like to go back and see in their prime?
5: Yeah, well, I think over the years, I mean, I think growing up in the shadow, if you like, of the Lions, I think, um, you know, just having missed them... Um, they've always been talked about and I think for me the guy, I think as I got older, the guy I want to see or would, or would like to have seen is probably Bobby Murdoch. I've heard so many people talk about how good he was and everything that he had in his game and I think um, that would have been a real a real pleasure to see him. Um, we were lucky enough I guess to see some of them at the end of their careers like Billy and Bobby Lennox who were still on the team uh, when I started going to the games but um, no, I'd love to have seen Murdoch, I never saw him.
2: It's always interesting whenever you talk to, to any of the lines. their phrase always is, he, they always said he was the best footballer when he played, Celtic played.
5: Yeah, and I think that's what happens. It becomes ingrained in your consciousness that, 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 that he, he made the team tick, and uh, maybe to a lesser extent, Bertie Old. So, um, you know, it's quite an interesting thing as a Celtic fan, because, you, you, you know, you grow up, if you just miss them, they're still such a part of your consciousness, even though you might not have seen them live. Um, it, it shows the incredible effect that event had on the club and, and everything about it. And even to this day, it's still, it's still such a strong influence on everything and, and, and all of the supporters still look to them as the ultimate team.
2: Now, in terms of Celtic games that you've been to over the years, is it possible to choose one favourite?
5: It's difficult. I mean... I've, I've, there's probably two stick, in, stick out in my mind uh, But I'm not sure That's the right answer To the question So um, No it's fine If that's your answer That's I your think, answer I think The um, the Rapid Vienna game Always sticks in my mind as being An astonishing night uh, Which was great And so much happened In the game So much drama I was in the jungle Roughly from where the, uh, the bottle was thrown And I saw it go into the park I saw it bounce I saw that it missed The guy completely um, and then just to watch all that unfold, you know, the team going off the park and the guy coming back on with a bandage around his head. I mean, you know, I'm not sure what age I was, but it was certainly probably in my teens. And I, I found the whole thing utterly astonishing from start to finish. And I and, and felt the injustice um, on the night and then obviously subsequently through the sort of replay and having to play the game elsewhere and, and end up, we, we actually get knocked out, which just seemed so against sport the whole thing for me was really really difficult to deal with but it sticks in my mind as a great night at Celtic Park you know a classic European night um, my other game is, is is definitely the 6-2 game Martin O'Neill's first game uh, at home against Rangers and just that the whole build up to that game and always strikes me that having had a period or, or or endured a period of dominance from them in the lead up to that game that I can remember we were 3-0 up and still not feeling that that was going to be enough that we had to do more and then of course they scored and actually still feeling as if we actually might end up losing this game You just didn't quite or hadn't quite gained the confidence yet of Martin that you know things had changed that we were going to be the dominant force but obviously by the final whistle that was uh, that was pretty much emphatically uh, the case so th- th- those two games probably stick out more than any others no, that's a decent answer
2: Final question, is there, again from the past or the present, either an underappreciated or much maligned Celtic player that you want to
5: mount a defence of? Uh, yeah, there probably is a few, actually. I I, I can have an, an ongoing theme uh, where I tend to favour these guys, so I think that's not too difficult for me. I think the one in recent years that sticks out for me where I think he got a lot of stick, which I thought was undeserved, was probably Gary Caldwell. I think... Uh, I think he was much maligned, and uh, his partnership with, with McManus is kind of talked about as a disaster. And I think we had a period under the striking where we went maybe almost a whole season we never had a clean sheet. But actually, for me, um I thought Caldwell was a good football player. I thought he was a great leader for the team. And the kind of image I have of him, of him the thing that I think he threw himself in front of a lot of stuff. He wasn't a great player, but he, he was quite good in the ball. He lacked a bit of pace. But I always thought he was committed all the time to to, to, to the team. I don't think you could ever fault his effort, and I think on one particular occasion we were in a Champions League playoff. I think against Spartak Moscow at Celtic Park, uh, which went to penalties, um, and uh, he stood up and took the first penalty, and I thought that kind of characterised what he was. I mean, maybe not the best player, but certainly a guy you'd want to have in your team. Somebody who was willing to say, "Look, I'll, I'll take it. I'm a captain. I'm going to take this penalty," and um, you know he smashed it into the net, and I think that set the tone Boric had a phenomenal game that night as well I think But um, for me I think Colwell got a lot of abuse and I was actually quite sorry to see him leave the club I thought he was a good captain and uh, you know it, it disappoints me when I hear Celtic fans talking about him in a negative fashion these days oh, That's
2: great Stephen. thanks very much for your answers thanks, thanks for lot. joining us on the Celtic View podcast It's a pleasure and now to get us into the mood for the Champions League game against Manchester City, here's an exclusive snippet of Martin Dale's interview with Patrick Roberts for the Manchester City programme. Uh, yeah, it should be, it should be an
6: interesting game. Yeah, I know. I came from cities and I the opportunity to play them. It's that's great. It's great for me. It's great for it's great for both teams actually. See, see a player playing. Who's with both clubs then? In the game.
0: Yeah, it's been I mean, it, the the game itself has like loads of excitement and loads of meaning to it, but it adds that extra wee element to it as well, doesn't it?
6: Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, for me personally, it's obviously an opportunity to show what I can do on the big stage, especially against the club who I've, who I've come on loan from. So, mm-hmm. no, it's an important game for the team and, and myself personally as well.
0: Not many players can I get that opportunity when they go on loan to come. And you know, face against their own their own team.
6: Yeah, no, yeah, no. I mean, domestically, I don't think it's it's allowed, but uh, in Europe, it's obviously it is. So uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's it's good for me, and it's good for, for obviously sat with more players and
0: team. What's your What's your feelings on it? You know, what's your real emotions, a bit of um, building up to the game?
6: I just want to, just want to try and play well and try and win the game. There's um foreman foremost. I mean, obviously. I'm a Celtic player so I want to do my best for Celtic and mm. that's been in the game so I've got to get, try and get the three points
0: Has there been any conflict of emotion for it or do you feel the kind of level of football you're playing you can adopt that professional approach?
6: Uh, yeah, yeah, you can I mean obviously it's just know well, that's the team but it's still a, still a game of football at the end of the day you've got to, you've got to put, go on the pitch and do what you always do no matter who the team is so you got to perform how you would normally pe- perform if it was anybody else so nah mm. I'll go into that game just, just same as I ever, with a positive mind and try and get the best result.